Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, just a moment, some ushers are going to offer a Bible if you'd like to get their attention. Uh, they'll be glad to put one in your hand this morning. We, um, you know, could I echo just one of the things that Stuart mentioned? Uh, man, I was so proud of you guys uh, Friday night at our family Christmas that we had here. The, the thing that impressed me was how many volunteers there were. And it wasn't just folks just filling a, a role, but folks were putting their gifts in the Lord's hands and using them, whether they were technological gifts. We've got one of our media volunteers that uh, was doing cameras and um, uh, karaoke and all the stuff that he does. And man, just the joy of seeing the families take advantage of that. Uh, one of our gals, Joyce uh, um, Bovey, uh, brought three of her friends that made up a quartet, a string quartet, and they were playing some beautiful music in, in A2, you know, as folks were weaving through and doing all the activities. And it was exciting. So I'm just really proud of you. That, that's what the church uh, should be. It was really, really a family Christmas, and uh, it was just kind of an exciting time. appreciated that so much. Um, one of the things I wanted to just keep you informed on, keep you uh, aware of, is, is our 40 days in the Word that we're going to be launching the first part of January. Uh, if you weren't here last week and didn't get a chance to get your workbook, those are available. They're out, uh, there's a little alcove right around the corner over here where they're going to be making these available. They're $5, which is uh, kind of a supplemented price to make, it, make sure it's affordable for you. But we're going to be walking through this. Uh, there's going to be um, some teaching that's going to go along in your life groups or whatever groups you have. And if you were interested in being a host, and maybe you've missed this announcement, we're trying to provide some training for you just to know how to walk through this with two or three others. Uh, if you've never been in a life group or you're not a leader, but you'd be willing to facilitate, that's, that's all we're asking, is just bring them together and we'll show you how to do that and how to tap into the resources that we're going to make available. Some training's going to happen today after this service, in between the service, and then also again at the end, after the 11 o'clock service. So this is the last weekend we'll probably make those available. But we are looking forward to um, launching in this series. We're going to be, hopefully we're going to be growing in a greater love for the Lord and for His Word and how to apply His Word, how to study it, uh, and then how to live it out. And so uh, keep praying for that. We are looking forward to that after the first of the year. We... Uh, we are uh, in a little, little Christmas series we're calling The Gifts of Christmas. Last week we looked at The Gift of Hope. And today, as uh, you see in your notes, uh, our theme today is worship, The Gift of Worship. And we are going to, uh, going to be looking at some examples of it. But I want to start off, I want to ask you, what is your favorite part of Christmas? When it comes to this time of the year, is there something that kind of stands out among the, is it the, is it the decorations? You like the decorations? You like to drive around and see other people, the work that they did? Uh, decorating, you like the, uh, the gift giving, or um, how about the, uh, uh, the cards that you get and uh, that you send out? And um, I don't know, what, what do you like? The food? You like the food? Fruit cake. Fruit, oh. I saw one of those at the door Friday night, and I thought, oh. Eggnog, ooh. Right, yeah. You like the parties, maybe? All the things. Now, you notice I didn't ask you, what is the most important thing about Christmas? What is the most important thing? It's, it's the worship of Jesus, isn't it? And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, this year, the, our academy has six programs for all the, the, the ages and all the different groups. And this place is just packed up for each one of those. I mean, as they watch, they come and watch their kids. 
The one uh, that started it all off this year was the little guys, the ELC we call it, the Early Learning Center. This is the preschool, all right? Toddlers. And I get, uh, thank you Sarah for inviting me uh, several years ago to start a, a tradition of sharing the Christmas story with these little toddlers. And so if you can picture this, I should show you a picture, but this year there was probably upwards of 100 kids that were on this platform. And they're all dressed up in little sheep outfits and angels and shepherds and stars and Mary and Joe. They don't even know what they're wearing, all right? They don't even know who they are. And so what I try to do is I'm sharing the Christmas story with them because that's what we want to do. We want to make sure these kids that God is entrusting us to, friends, more than half of these families have no church involvement at all, but they're putting their kids right here. And so do they hear the Christmas story? We want to make sure of that. And so as I'm sharing this with them, I'll, you know, when I get to some of the subject, like oh, the star or the angel, I'll say, where's my angels, you know? And they kind of look at themselves, oh, oh, that's, that's me. And it's so cute. But I stopped and I thought, it's all about Jesus. And isn't that what we want to reinforce? And yet for many of us, when it comes to this time of the year, we miss the worship of Jesus. We really do. Now there's a couple of reasons probably why this happens. The, the obvious one is, it's just the, the sheer volume of the things that we do at this year that we don't do any other time of the year. Think about it. Cards that you write to people who you don't really know that well, but you send them out anyway, right? It's the one time of the year you stay connected. Uh, houses you decorate, parties you go to, uh, gifts that you're buying, uh, travel plans some, for some of you. I mean, add all these things up, and friends, would you agree, it is really, really hard to, to get to the silent night, <laughs> to the quietness that you, you kind of need to focus in on the true meaning, which is to worship Jesus. I think that's one of the reasons, one of the obvious ones. But I, I suspect, though, that another reason is just, if we're honest with ourselves, I really wonder how well we understand just how to worship. This is another one of those areas that I'm doing a lot of evaluation these days about. You want to make sure that we get down to the basics. You know, it's what the 40 days of the Word we're talking about is how do you study the Word of God? I've made assumptions for many, many years that you go to the Word and you spend time with the Lord in the Word, but we've never really taught you how. I know a lot of times when I'm just listening to messages like you are today, it's so, it's so out there, but the part of me, the practical side of me says, yes, but how? Yes, but how? Do you ever find yourself asking? I hope I don't uh, go down that track too often to where I'm not explaining to you the practicality of what it means to live this thing out. But yet, when it comes to worship, yes, I know that. But how? How do we worship? I imagine today, just the use of that word, if I was to ask you what it means to you, we'd probably get as number of different answers as there are people in this room. What does it mean for you to worship? I think I shared about the young man that was in our, my first youth group back in Muskogee, Oklahoma, my first full-time ministry. And I was, I was so excited, you know, to start to work with, with these kids and the group started growing. And there was this one kid, he was kind of the life of the party, came from a broken home and he, he had a friend that brought him and he just was so enthusiastic. His name was Sean and uh, 15 years old. And I remember one night in particular, I'm talking and I'm, I, I just told the kids, I said, you know, do you know that we're going to worship the Lord for eternity? We're gonna worship the Lord for eternity. 
And I could see his little wheels spinning. And he, I could just see what he was thinking. He was thinking, what you're saying here is that we're going to have an eternal worship service, a church service that's not going to ever stop. Now think about a kid processing that. It's like doing what we're doing, not for an hour, not for two hours, but for eternity. And he's going, he's just looking like, oh man, I don't know if that sounds exciting to me or not, right? But that's how he was processing it. And some of us don't really purely understand what is it that we do when we come together in this what we call a worship service. The word itself is derived from the word worth. And so what you're saying is, is that we're attaching worth to something or to someone. And in this case, it is to the Lord. And when we do an honest uh, assessment of the things that we attach worth to, there's a lot of possibilities out there, isn't there? You can attach worth to to the money, obviously, and the things that money will buy. That that may may be the most important thing that we we put a value on. Some of us, it might be a a sports team, (laughs) you know, or, or our kids. I've heard folks, you know, that they just worship their kids, and you think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, I I have to let you know that Jesus himself said that I should be above even your your wife, your children, your parents, even your own life. All the earthly relationships, he should transcend those. And so it's a point of evaluation to say, what do we truly worship? And when we come here, is that what we're coming to intentionally is to subscribe worth to the Lord? Is that what we do? Well, you know, I could spend the rest of our time this morning, and I could probably, you know, really lay into us, and and we could walk out with a guilt trip about the way we don't do it or, you know, how bad we are about it. But uh, I could also choose rather to spend the time learning what does it truly mean to worship. And, And in fact, to learn from the very first worshipers of our Lord Jesus. That sounds more interesting to me. And uh, that's where I want to take us this morning. And I think there's some things, very practical things, that we're going to learn from those first worshipers. So I think the first place to start is to pray and ask the Lord to help us. What do you think? Let's do that. Lord, uh, we just uh, come to you humbly. We're bowing before you in our hearts and just asking that you will speak to us. God, give us a, a revelation this morning of what you desire and what's important to you. I pray, Lord, that as we approach your word and and we see this example unfold, Lord, that that we will bring ourselves to you and hopefully uh, put into practice what it is that we learn and and hopefully come to an understanding. So we commit this time to you. I pray that you will be uh, glorified even through the time that we're here. And Lord, I I just would add, I I pray that, that we will be willing to change in some specific area that we brought in this morning, but because of your uh, insights that you share through your spirit, that there'll be something that we will do to adjust or to change or be transformed as a result. That's what I'm praying for. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, by now you probably know who those first worshipers were. Who, who were they? It was the wise men. And Matthew chapter two is a gospel that tells us about it. And what I wanna do is I wanna read the account. Uh, there's 12 verses. Matthew chapter two, and I want us to read this, and and what I'm gonna do is go back over. We're gonna lift out uh, six phrases out of this account that I think are gonna specifically instruct us a little better uh, about about the worship that we bring to the Lord. So let's look at it together. Matthew chapter two, verse one. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And the assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. You know that Christ is the, the version, Greek version of Messiah. So this is all messianic. This is all the expectation that was wrapped around that for the, the centuries before. So where is the Christ going to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Well, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. That was not the truth at all. He didn't want to worship the Lord. He was feeling threatened by this. But he sends them on their way. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Uh, this account, um, again, I, I think it's giving us an example they came to worship the Lord, and the things that preceded that, I think, are very instructive to us. And so, what I want to ask you to do, you got some notes as you're on your way in, we're going to look at these six, six phrases we mentioned and, and walk through those. Uh, at the end, we're going to kind of pull it all together, and even in an act of worship, uh, we're going to be sharing our communion at the end of the service today, and uh, this will be, hopefully, an expression and, and even even a response to what the Lord is showing us. So let's walk through this together. Here's the first thing that I notice is that these, these wise men, as they were called, came from uh, afar, apparently, and they come to Jerusalem. The first thing that I see is when we come to worship, we need to start with what we'll call a sincere desire, a sincere desire. And when we look at, at, at even you know, that statement, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? You're bringing him a desire to worship. But friends, could you just think about the fundamental nature of that? If you don't bring a desire when we come to worship the Lord, if you don't bring a basic desire to worship him, you're not gonna worship. And I'll just admit to you, there's a lot of reasons you may come here on, on a, a morning service like this. Maybe you, maybe you come here to be around people. Uh, you, you maybe perhaps uh, don't get that opportunity to interact with folks that much, good people. And there are a few good people here, wouldn't you agree? Huh? Uh, maybe, you, maybe you come out of obligation. There's just something that kind of gnaws at you, like I, I need to be there, I should, or a guilt. Some of us might come out of habit, if we're honest. It's what we do. Maybe we don't even think about it. Maybe you, maybe you come for the free coffee, 
<laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> We've been doing a little evaluation on the quality of our coffee lately, you know. And some of you go, woohoo, I got a few claps last night. I, I don't know, but I don't know. There's any number of reasons why we come. And when you come, have you ever stopped to evaluate why do you come to a worship service? Is there a sincere desire? This is one thing that I see the example that these guys give us, and you think, well, how do you know that, Pastor? How do you know that they had a sincere desire? Well, one thing that's a clue is the long journey that they took to get there. That, that was a journey that was costly. It was arduous. We don't know. These guys are a mystery, quite honestly. We don't know that much about them. We get a, a few little hints here and there. My best estimation is these guys were probably what we today in today's context might consider political advisors. You know, in, 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 in government or in rulership, things like that, there's usually key kings or rulers or presidents, and they surround themselves by experts that know things that they just don't know, but they surround themselves by that. These were probably those kind of guys. They were experts in science and in mathematics and in astronomy and in religion. And, and so wherever they came from, most likely they came from Persia, uh, you know, coming from the east. They, um, uh, they probably were coming from there. But, um, but we know that they traveled quite a distance. And we know that the first place they stop is, is Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, they, they come and then they, they begin inquiring about this. These guys had a sincere desire about something. And, and I would just have to say, I think it was more than intellectual curiosity, wasn't it? There was something inside of them. We might describe it best as a spiritual hunger. And if I was to talk to you about your physical hunger, you know exactly what we're talking about, and you know exactly how to recognize it, and you know exactly what to do to satisfy it, don't you? You do that on a regular, daily basis. And friends, the spiritual hunger can be very comparable. It's interesting because sometimes we think we can satisfy the spiritual hunger through the physical means like, like in the same context. In other words, uh, you know, you ever heard of comfort food? <laughs> you know, that they're trying to satisfy maybe, maybe that spiritual hunger. Shopping, you know, buying things. That's, that's hitting a little close to home right now. Um, we try to fill it with, with other, uh, you know, maybe relationship or other people, you know, all kinds of things physically. Even Jesus, I find, uh, you know, would describe the satisfaction spiritually in some of the analogy of the physical. Remember, he talked of himself as the living water that would satisfy the thirst or the bread of life. Uh, so, so he kind of uses that context, but friends, there's something more about the spiritual hunger, and my assumption is that the only thing that truly satisfies spiritual hunger is, is worship, is genuine worship of God, the living God. And as I watch this unfold, I, I, I think that this is where these guys are coming from. And today, if we put just this one into practice, what would it look like? What would it sound like? If you evaluated yourself in your worship of the Lord when we come together, and friends, I, I just wanna go without saying, worship is not limited to the one hour or two hours that we spend here each week, okay? The worship is something as believers that we do every day, probably every moment to some degree or another, 
But when I talk about our gathering here, when we collectively come to worship, do we bring to him that sincere desire to do so? It might sound like this, Lord, today, I really want to encounter your presence. I really want, I really want to put myself in a place where, where I, can, I can hear your voice. Lord, I, I am so looking forward and desiring to, to come before you. That's what I bring today. That's where it starts. The second thing that I see is, is a, an expectant heart. And I think this is something that we need to, to develop as an expectant heart. In verse two, it says that when they came to Jerusalem, he said, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now this is the faith factor. Faith is the evidence, Hebrews 11 said, faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. So there's a faith element here of expectation to find Jesus uh, when we do come to him. And friends, this is the key to God working powerfully in our life, is that expectation. If we don't expect it, if there's no faith involvement, it's almost like it ties the Lord's hands to work powerfully in our life. You, you can see this throughout his ministry, is he would go places where uh, people would be expectant, and, and when they expressed that, it was just like a door was just flung open and he could do powerful things. Consequently, he also mentioned there were places where there was no faith. I mean, there's a little village called Chorazin, and he almost cursed this village because he said, man, if, 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 if this, the same things you have seen here um, that prompted this faith would have been done some, in the, some of these pagan lands, they would have been repentant, and yet, yet you're so calloused of uh, you know, what's happening. And so he's weighing this out, and these guys apparently are bringing to him an expectation. Where is he? You notice that there's no if in that statement? There's no question mark, there's no doubt. They're saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? There was an expectant heart. And it was so natural for them uh, to go to Jerusalem because think about it. Uh, it was world renowned as the home of the temple of the living God, you know, the one true God. Now whether you believe that or not, that may be another matter, but that's, that's what they knew it to be. That's what they knew it claimed to be. And so it did, it would only been natural for wherever they came from, and the road they would have taken would have come across and to the north of Jerusalem and then begin to come down. That's the first stop, is, is Jerusalem. They had the full expectation that that's where it most likely was gonna happen. So where do they go? They go to the natural place, they go to the king, Herod, and say, you know, there's something going on here. What, what is happening? And as I see this, um, I, uh, I stop and I evaluate and I stop and I think, what kind of expectation do we bring to have an encounter with the living Lord? I, I may have said this before, but it's probably worth repeating. That when we come together, one of the things we do in our worship here at North Shore each week is to do what we, we call communion, where we take a piece of bread and a cup and, and we remember the Lord through those, those symbols. And some of us might think, well, where did that begin? We know that that's all, always been a central part of Catholicism, right? And they've got some notions that they literally, when the priest prays over, they literally become the body and the blood because Jesus said, when you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they, they have these kind of notions. We don't believe that, we believe they're symbols. But how far back does it really go? Where did that get established? 
What was the meaning that Jesus had in mind when he first established that? And I remember years ago, I think it was one of my, uh, my seminary professors that shared this, but it, boy, ever since then, it's kind of deposited in my heart. When I come to that point, he said, did you know that when Jesus showed up that first Easter evening, <laughs> when he resurrected that Sunday, that first day of the week, when he first showed up to the disciples, what were they doing? They were eating. There was a meal. And, and, uh, and then Jesus showed up. Of course, remember, Thomas wasn't there, and it was a week later, so exactly another week later, he shows up again, and what were they doing? There was a meal. And, and then even in John records that, that when they went back up to Galilee, when they were throwing their nets out, you remember, and, and there was a person from the shore and said, have you caught anything? And they said, no, you know. And he said, throw him out of the other side of the boat. And then they got a big haul and they, they knew right away it was Jesus. And they, Peter couldn't stand it. He swam to shore. Do you remember what they did when they got to the shore? He said, bring some of the fish. Let's have a meal together. And there was a suggestion that from the very start, that when they got together and had the meal, there was an expectation that the living Jesus would show up right out of the gate. And that's the heritage. That's, that's the thing that has, has perpetuated and gone on even to where we do this now. But do we attach that kind of expectation? Is that what we've come to mean? Maybe that was the original purpose. And it just kind of reminds me that, friends, unless we are intentional, intentional, about this, then chances are we can go adrift. Now, there are three attitudes that are represented in those halls where Herod was and where these wise men showed up, and, and then you're also going to read there's another group of people. Who are they? They're the scribes and the Pharisees. They're the ones that were the, the, uh, the rulers, religious rulers, and the experts in the law. And they represent three attitudes. Uh, obviously, the wise men brought an expectant attitude, right? And then Herod brings a very resistant attitude. He, he kind of puts on a muse here where, where he's saying, oh, you go find out where he's at and then come and tell me so I can come and worship him. That was not his heart's desire at all. He was a king, and kings are threatened by anybody who, who, who would come to usurp their authority or, or their, their royalty, whatever. So he didn't have that in his heart as it unfolded. That's exactly what was going on because he got rid of all the young uh, boys that were two years and younger. So we know what his intentions, he was resistant to worshiping Jesus. But the ones I want you to look at are these, these scribes and Pharisees. They knew where the Messiah was to be born. Something about these guys, just the miracle of them coming and saying, where has he been born? We, we've seen his star. That should have been a clue to these people who knew the word. They knew where he was to be born, but they were indifferent. You notice that when you read about the worship setting with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, there's no religious leaders there, are they? They didn't care enough to go to worship or to even pursue it. They knew it, but they were indifferent. And friends, this may be a hard one for us, but I think we have to do some self-evaluation and say when we come together, is there an intentionality with this? I suspect that if we don't work at this, that we can easily drift into indifference in our worship. And there can be any number of things that we come to bring, but it's not that just like these religious leaders. And we know it, 
It's not that we're, we're ignorant to the fact. We know what it's all about. We can say it. We can even teach it sometimes. But it's the heart. It's the expectation that Jesus is really going to show up, that he's going to be there. And so I learn a lot from, from this. And it's, sometimes it's quite convicting, you know, because when we do this all the time and when it can become a routine, it, it might even become a habit because we do it so frequently and so regularly, we have to work at it to preclude from becoming indifferent like these guys were. So I see that. And then um, the next thing is, is, is what happens when they get there, their response when they get there. Watch what happens. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the third thing I notice is we choose to express joy. We choose to express joy. Joy isn't something that just drops out of heaven, okay? It's not an automatic thing. It's not uh, so circumstantial. It's something we have to choose to do. We consciously choose to bring our joy, our, 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 and you know what? This isn't just a little bit of joy. Notice he uses a, a superlative here, exceedingly. They said they, they rejoiced exceedingly. That means a whole lot. And, um, you know, that says something about us too. We come to a time like this. I told him I was gonna pick on him. But uh, when, sometimes I come to this nine o'clock service and, I, and Bruce, all right? Bruce has exceeding joy. <laughs> right? And, and if you know Bruce and if you're here regularly, this is not something that is just put on. This is him. It happens out in the lobby. It'll happen on a motorcycle ride. It'll happen wherever. He's got a joy when it comes to the Lord. There's just something that is there. And, and I'm just going to be honest. There's sometimes in a whole group like this that just one, kind of one person, he can kind of raise the whole quotient of our enthusiasm, our joy that we bring to the Lord. Now, should everybody be like that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Let's be honest, all right? There are some of you here this morning that if you got just a little twitch of a smile in the corner of your mouth, for you, that would be exceeding joy. I'm just, I'm just being honest. And that's okay. I don't think everybody's going to necessarily express it the same way. All I know is it is something that these guys who were genuine, they were sincere desire, they had an expectant heart, and there was a genuine joy that they brought. And, and that's exemplary. And I hope that we can bring that kind of, uh, of, of enthusiasm to the Lord when we come to worship, whenever it is, whether it's here uh, or otherwise, okay? Here's the fourth one. And um, this, uh, I think this is very telling. It says, on coming to the house, verse 11, coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and the NIV says they bowed down and worshiped. Uh, in the ESV, which I normally am speaking out of, uh, it says they fell down. They bowed down, they fell down. Basically, they, they went to their knees when they saw the baby Jesus. Now, these guys were big stuff where they came from. It's pretty apparent. They, they had uh, kind of exorbitant wealth. They probably had a lot of influence where they came from. They obviously had the resources to make a journey like they did. Uh, you know, when we say magi, there, there's just a certain reverence that goes along with that. But when they saw the baby Jesus, 
they bowed down to worship him. And as I look at that, I just, um, I just stop and I just think one thing. Friends, this is something we have to consistently remind ourselves. When it comes to the worship of Jesus, it is not about us. There is a humility that they brought that I think uh, that we need to evaluate ourselves, and that's, that's the point, is to decide to humble ourselves before the Lord. Um, boy, I really, you could pray for me right now because I have to check my heart. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going through something right now, even in my personal world with my kids. Uh, many of you know that my kids are worship leaders. Um, you know, Stuart, who's here, but my two, middle two daughters uh, and their husbands are on a staff of a large church in Indiana. And on a, uh, several times a week, we get conversations, and, and they're in the middle of something right now that, that I just am kind of evaluating. They're, they're a church that has chosen to go a route with two separate services, a traditional service and a contemporary service. And, and that's not uncommon for churches these days. Why? Because of people's preferences of styles, of music, of, of what they want. And, and right now they're approaching just literally a train wreck because what they've tried to do, thinking that the only thing to do is to bring them in a unity uh, together and, and it's not done what they hoped or accomplished because all they've done is made both sides mad. <laughs> and and it, it just breaks my heart because I think at the core of this, if somebody has bought into this idea that it's about us and it's about our desire, our preference. And you know, this is the reality. And some of the realities here at North Shore are that we are a multi-generational church. We have not tried to go just one niche of an age. And yet it might appear that because uh, you know, several months ago, when we made, made some uh, changes in our, our worship and our leadership in our worship, we were blessed to have somebody intact for 17 years, Damien. 17 years of, of worship leader, the consistency, the continuity. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people would appreciate a, a change in that with much fear and trembling, which I did, by the way. And I thought, boy, this has disaster written all over it. And yet, for several reasons, because I believe Damien took a high road spiritually and, a, and with humility, and he recognized, you know what? Change happens, change comes, and people's roles change. And God had sent someone to us who is gifted in that area, in Josh. But I also recognize Josh is a 20-something. And there are some of us here that are not 20-something. <laughs> and so we come to this idea or notion that, oh, well, it's just all about the young, and then we have to defer everything you know, toward that. But if you, if you knew Josh like I do, and these other worship leaders that are here, number one, we are blessed to have some very, very gifted young worship leaders, and they're leaders. Yes. They're genuine. And their heart's desire is for all of us and for all of you. And so I, I look at this and I just think if, if that one thing that we could hear today is the core of bringing to the Lord a humility like these guys. They were big stuff, but they bowed down in order to worship Jesus. And if it all becomes about Jesus, then I think that's the common thread that will unify us. But if you don't go that way, I don't care what style you choose. It's gonna be divisive and it's gonna be a hindrance to the testimony of, of the church because he said, by this all men shall know you're my disciples, by what? The love that you have. 
And so my ask is, and I, I, I share this, but I just reaffirm this because we shared this six months ago, that friends, you know, life goes on. And unless we invest in our younger uh, generation, in the future of the leadership, then we're only one generation away from extinction. We have to be about that. And it's not easy, it's not comfortable. Those of you that have children and know what it was like to send your children out, that, those are hard days, those are, those are tough times. We'd like to you know, keep everything just the way that it is. You know, That's one of the things that's driven me to do at this time, you know, to, to, to begin to look for that next leader and to hand off in a way that we can do it with joy and celebration and not have to have a train wreck in order to you know, make a shift or an adjustment or, or to move forward. So these are just realities, and I, I love you guys so much because I know that you're, you're hearing the heart behind this, and it's this example that I'm just following a biblical example of these guys that they fell down. It was not about them. It was not about their big stuff. It was about the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's exemplary. Would you agree? That's what we need to strive for. Uh, could I just do one ask? I wish that you would just absolutely love and encourage and pray for these young leaders. Encourage them. They've got an open heart, they'll listen, and they've got a heart, their number one desire is to usher us into the presence of the Lord. And I know that some of us have backgrounds where it's not quite the same. You know, we hear things like, oh, well, the music's too loud. You know, believe me, we're not the only church that uh, wrestles with us these days. And I'll tell you the tangible truth is, it's not as loud as it used to be. <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling you, technically, we got DBs that we monitor back here, it's not as loud as it used to be. Sometimes it's style, sometimes it's just the things and preferences. Some of us grew up with hymns. Anybody here today that remember, you know, open the hymn book and sing the four verses and things like that. You just have to understand the difference that those, that kind of worship is more testimonial worship. It's singing about the Lord, but not to the Lord. And it's, we're comfortable with that. That's what we desire. But, but one of the things that you notice that often the way our worship today is, is we're singing directly to the Lord. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I'm not singing about you, I'm singing to you. There's differences like that. And um, you know, so I, I just, I appreciate the fact that we here at North Shore have chosen a path. And we don't have three different services. We have one service, three different services. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We do it away. And, and that, that's who we are. And I, uh, I appreciate, um, I just appreciate the humility that so many of you bring you know, to, to that. And that's what I see these guys' examples. Thanks for listening to my little rant, okay? <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that too because I feel the freedom to do that. I really do. I think, I think it's God-honoring to just look at this example. I, um, I, uh, I, I wanna look at this, this fifth one because needless to say, they brought to the Lord gifts, and, and that's what we do. Uh, number five, we plan to give gifts to him. Um, that's what these guys are all about. In fact, we don't know how many wise men there were. We assume there were three of them, but that's only because there were three gifts that were brought in. Uh, there could have been 15, but these were the gifts that were identified, so that's how that tradition got started. But the gifts were very interesting, and I think very symbolic. Okay, look at these, just clearly what they brought. The first one, they brought gold. Gold would signify that they recognized him as a king. We sang that a few minutes ago in the long expected one, that you're the king, and certainly he is. 
Uh, that means for us, if we're bringing him like the gold, which is the best, it's the most valuable thing that, that they could have brought in recognition of his kingship, what we do is we bring to the Lord our best. We often use that phrase to describe our gifts around October, you know, a first and best gift, the best that we have. Not the leftovers, you know, not, not the things that we can, are expendable. We bring it to him the best, and that's the, that's the, the offering that we make. Okay, the second one was frankincense. Frankincense, uh, just it was a cer- certain form of incense, a very sweet-smelling incense that would have permeated the air at the temple around the time of sacrifice. And so it was actually an aroma that they would have attached that aroma to the si- idea of a sacrifice that was being made on behalf of their their sins. It was like atoning for their sin. Think about this. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us and, and uh, he made the sacrifice for our, our sins. What he's doing is he becomes our high priest. And so the frankincense is, is like looking at Jesus. He's gonna be like our priest, the one who goes before God on our behalf to atone for our sins. That's what he's doing. So if the gold represents bringing him our best, I gotta say the frankincense in our worship would be like bringing him our worst. What's the worst thing that you did this week? (laughs) Don't say it out loud, you don't have to, no no hand raising. But think about this, when you come to worship, you bring to him those things that you might be ashamed of or or you know that the enemy is gonna beat you up over the, you bring those to him because you know he's your priest. He's the one that's gonna stand in your stead and forgive you of those sins. And that's what we look forward to. The myrrh was, literally it was an embalming spice. And it would have signified that he, he did die or he was coming to die. I don't know that these wise men understood that that's what these things meant, but they certainly were symbolic in that sense. And so what you're recognizing that Jesus is laying his life down for us, he is our savior. And so what we bring to him in light of the myrrh, we bring to him our life, our everything. We lay everything down for him. We are a living sacrifice that we hope is holy and pleasing to God, according to Romans 12. And so these gifts are are representative of the kind of worship, and is that what we do when we come before him? Do we bring him our everything? Today, you know, in just a moment, uh, we're going to um, share in a time of communion. And in light of what we have just shared today, we, we want us to just pause a moment and reflect. Lord, truly, really, what, what do I come to bring you today? Do I bring a heart with a sincere desire to worship you? Or are there so many other things that are swirling out there that, that I'm not even focused on that? Do I bring a heart that is expectant Do I really expect to have an encounter with you today? Are you gonna say something to me that that I, I could not hear otherwise, but only because I come to worship? Do I bring a joyful heart? Am I truly humble? Is this really all about you, or, or am I so wrapped up into my own world, my own desire, my own stuff, that that's the only filter that I can see through, it's the only lens that I look through when it comes to this time of worship. Lord, what do you see today? And what gifts would I bring?
I want to bring you to my best. I want to take my worst. Lord, I lay my life down for you because you laid your life down for me. And today I'm going to invite the ushers. Uh, They're going to come and they're going to serve our elements, uh, the bread and the cup. And if you'll hold those just for a moment. While they're doing that, I want to share the sixth point with you, okay? So as we just kind of contemplate these things, you might think the story ends right about then, but it doesn't. There's one last little phrase that is, is in this, and here's, here's what Matthew records, verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. By another way. I, I would describe this, the way that we end our worship is with an obedient response, an obedient response. And here's something that just absolutely jumped off the page to me. I don't know, in all the years I've preached, you know, Christmas messages and even about the wise men, I don't know that I've ever quite understood or or seen this before. They were called to go another route. And I wonder sometimes when we come to the worship, are we prepared to listen to the Lord to such a degree that if he calls us down a different path than what we came in these doors, would we be obedient to go that path? We came in one route, we go out another route. Did you ever catch that? We came in with, with our, our worry or our sadness or um, our, our anxiety and, and we heard from the Lord because we worshiped him and we're going out with joy or we're going out with confidence or we're going out with direction or, or we're going out a different route than we came in because we genuinely came to worship the Lord. And friends, I think that's what exactly the Lord wants to do as he wants to change us every time we come to him um, with this kind of example to follow, I just think sometimes the result of, of my worship, it changes my route that I'm taking in my life. And I just, I love that when, when after the service, I, this happened last week, by the way, you know, and we were talking about the hope and, and how he brings things even into our desperate times. And several came up and just said, you know, God spoke to me today. And this is what I need to do. This is, this is what he's telling me to do. And man, nothing brings joy to, to one's heart more than to know you've encountered the living God and he has met you. And where does he want to meet you today? As we honor and we worship and even as we remember him through the elements that we have, we say, Lord, I bring my life to you. I, 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 at the foundation of my life, I want my worship of you to be at the core. So let's pray, and, uh, and then we'll take, uh, take these emblems together. Lord, it's pretty humbling when we stop to think of what we're really doing right now, is coming to worship a holy God, the God of the universe. And when we, we just stop and think of the realities of what gift could we bring to you the creator of everything. What is it that could even matter to you that much? And yet I think it's pretty clear that what you want, you really want, is our hearts, our love, our devotion. 
And so today, Lord, as, as we're just pausing in this moment, I just really sense as your spirit is, is, is very present in this place, we're holding two out emblems, very simple, very common emblems that forever you attached your life, your body, your blood that was sacrificed. And you said whenever we do this, we do this in remembrance of you. I don't know if we've ever brought this kind of expectation with this, but Lord, you are here right now. Your, your, your life, your, your spirit is here right now. And what a joyous thought that is. And so we present ourselves to you. Again, we hope that, that this is holy and pleasing. When you examine our hearts, that we're truly bringing a sincere, expectant heart to you today. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on Calvary. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Jesus said, after they'd prayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to them, and he said, take this and eat this. This is my body which is given for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And after that, in a similar way, he said, he took a cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant, a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to hopefully bring everything we've described and put it into practice right about now, okay? So as you pass your cups uh, down the row, let's stand together and let's allow our worship leaders to usher us into the presence of the Lord, and let's do so with sincerity.